Father in heaven, you've told us that as physicians and dentists and health professionals, we are especially to seek for Christ-likeness. Because to our shame, we're not Christ-like. You've called us to do medical evangelism like Christ. And to our shame, we have not been like him. You've told us that we're in dire need of reform, many reforms. And you've stated that the reform most needed is conversion. Conversion to the truth that works by love and purifies the soul. We're embarrassed that we have to be told that the saving of souls is our first work. You've promised to give us the privilege of actually walking and working with you and that you will give us the leaves from the tree of life that we can provide relief to the suffering around us. You've you've promised all these and we know they're true. You've told us to ask you to fill our wayward hearts with your spirit that we may understand the meaning of your words and help us to make a right application of these words to our individual case tonight. And Father, we ask these things confidently because you've asked us to do this. We know it's your will. And so it's with confidence that we open your word to have you make this right application to us in our health professions, in our ministries, tonight, in Christ's name, amen. To understand the context of the passage in Genesis that we will be studying, we'll start at Exodus 32:13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. Is this on correctly? Is the It's okay? All right. God had made a very specific promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here called Israel. They were to have descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And that takes us to our passage this evening. Genesis 25, beginning with verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. You'll remember this occurred when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. It was an idyllic marriage. Isaac was the child of promise. Rebekah was a special gift of God. Forty-year-old Isaac was wealthy and respected. Rebecca was young and beautiful. It was a couple that seemed to have everything, but not until heaven will we live happily ever after. In this earth, sorrow intrudes into every home. And this home was no exceptions. Some people think that if they accept Christ, difficulties of life will vanish. But that's not true. Sin brought sorrow into the world, and Jesus has warned, in the world you will have tribulations. 
But that need not bring us to despair, for Christ quickly adds, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We notice in the very next verse of our passage, verse 21, that even in the best possible of homes, even in the best possible home situations, there were, there were problems. In this home had a problem of fertility. Rebecca was infertile. She was barren. Though God had promised Isaac descendants as abundant as the stars, the promise didn't seem to be fulfilled. Rebecca was barren, not just for one year or two years. Please skip down about a half dozen verses to Genesis 25-26 and notice that Rebecca was barren for 20 years. For Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. What did Isaac do during this trying period of barrenness? He prayed. Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Do you think this was a trite, memorized, or ritual prayer? No, those prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling. True prayer is an expression of our greatest needs and deepest desires. The word entreat means to make an earnest prayer or request, to beseech, to implore. This is not a one-time prayer. Year after year, Isaac prayed earnestly for a child, but year after year, no child came. So often in my prayers, my prayers become less urgent over time. But not for Isaac. The passage of time made this prayer more urgent and more frequent. And he prayed in faith, claiming God's promise. Why did he care about having a child? What difference would one child make in Isaac's home? What difference would one child make with all the millions and billions in the world today? What difference did Samuel or John the Baptist make? What difference did Isaac himself make since he was a prayed-for child? Isaac knew the difference that a child, one child, would make. And he keenly felt his need. We're told a deep sense of our need and a great desire for the things for which we must ask must characterize our prayers, else they will not be, what's the next word? Not be heard. Isaac understood the importance of one child. Isaac was filled with desire for this child, and as the years passed, Isaac felt his need more keenly. Though his prayers seemed to be unanswered, though his prayers seemed to be unheard, Isaac continued to pray. Why did God allow this experience? Was God toying with Isaac? Was he playing with Isaac's affections? Now, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. God was leading Isaac through this faith-building experience to make him a better father. And it was for his good, and not only for his good, God left this experience on record for our good as well. We also need to learn that trials mean, what's the next word? Trials mean what? benefit and not to despise the chastening of the Lord nor faint when we are rebuked of him. The Bible likens such earnest prayer to fragrant incense and God delights in these prayers. 
And the smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended before God out of the angel's hand. And the Lord smelled the fragrant incense of Isaac's prayers. And what was impossible to Isaac with all of his efforts was possible with God. And the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah his wife conceived. All this was to teach an important truth. In the sign language of the Bible, having children is evangelism. For though you might have 10,000 instructors, Paul said, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. It is not our plans and methods that win souls. Souls are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The wives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were barren. Three generations of wives were barren for a time. Sarah was barren for 25 years. Rebekah was barren for nearly as long as Sarah, 20 years. And Rachel was barren for some years as well. Do you think God was trying to tell us all something? Rachel's barrenness increased Isaac's. Uh, Rebecca's barrenness increased Isaac's prayers. God's promise to Abraham is for us if we are his children. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. Since giving birth is a symbol in the Bible for soul winning, and Abraham's promises for us, shouldn't we be asking ourselves this question, have I won a soul to Christ, or am I barren? If I would be a soul winner, what must I do? Shouldn't I pray for souls? What has my barrenness caused me to do? Has my barrenness caused me to pray for a soul? In a letter, Ellen White wrote to her son Willie, The salvation of souls is the work of every follower of Christ, however weak. Please read that with me. The salvation of souls is the work of every follower of Christ, however weak. If you cannot point to one soul thus saved, turn, O oh, turn, to a new course of action. What is the new course of action? Begin to pray for souls. That's what Isaac did. That's what Abraham did. And that's what Jacob did. Begin to pray for souls. Come near to Christ, close to his bleeding side. We sing, Jesus, keep me near the cross. But this is how it happens. It happens when we pray for souls. Do you have someone to pray for? A spouse? A child? A parent? A relative? A work associate? A neighbor? Begin to pray for souls. Not just in general. Begin to pray for specific souls. Will God hear that prayer? Will he answer it? However weak we are, we can be strong in Jesus and we can win souls. 
Letter 66, 1901. Pray that the wondrous message of the love of Christ may reach precious souls. What's our message? The wondrous message of the love of Christ. That they too may pray and be refreshed with heavenly grace. The message that will reach our patients. The message that will reach our children and our spouses and our relatives and our friends. That is the message of the wondrous love of Christ. But what if you pray for a soul all year and have no soul to point to as a trophy for Jesus? Are you willing to pray for two years? Would you be discouraged if you had no soul after praying for ten years? Are you willing to keep praying? Isaac did. The story of the barrenness of Sarah, the mother of the faithful, the story of the barrenness of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, the story of the barrenness of Rachel, of Hannah and Elizabeth, is to teach us an important truth. How we should long for souls and keep praying year after year despite whether we seem to have one or not. If we would have the interest, Evangelism 294, if we have the interest that John Knox had when he pleaded before God for Scotland, we shall have success. He cried, give me Scotland, Lord, or I die. And when we take hold of the work and wrestle with God saying, I must have souls, I will never give up the struggle, we shall find that God will look upon our efforts with favor. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, suffereth violence, and the violent taketh it by force. The violence here meant is a holy earnestness. But back to our passage. Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. I love the next sentence. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. If we are willing to begin to pray for souls, if we are intent, if we are in earnest... If we are persevering in our praying for souls, the Lord will hear and answer our prayer. It's certain. When at last Rebecca conceived, she must have been ecstatic. But again, that's not the end of the story. Life is not simply one little prayer, one prayer answered, and then everything flows smoothly on. And the children struggle together within her. For nearly two decades, Rebecca had prayed for a child. Now her prayer was heard, but the pregnancy was not an easy one. Even before the birth pains were pregnancy pains and difficulties, praying for souls and evangelistic outreach is not the end of our prayers. We only begin seeking to save the lost when we begin praying for souls, and when the Lord hears and answers our prayer, and souls begin to be born, our prayers have just begun. And after they were born, we continue to pray for our children. The children will bring new subject matter for prayer, and the children struggle together within her. Let me pause here a moment for a quick aside. Notice what the Bible called the unborn in this verse. And the children struggle together within her. The Bible refers to the unborn as children. 
The Bible doesn't speak of the unborn as mere tissue that can be discarded by the mother. Throughout the entire Bible, the unborn are called children. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, Genesis 16:11. For Samuel 4:19, and his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. We are reminded of this truth every Christmas season. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When is his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with tissue of the Holy Ghost. No, the Bible doesn't say that she was found, was found with tissue. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. The Bible term for being pregnant is being with child. Do not let culture confuse you as to whether the Bible is clear on the subject of abortion. To have an abortion is to murder a child. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women with child. Of all people, God's remnant people should be clear on this. Of all people, those who keep the commandments of God should be clear on this, both in their personal practice and in their personal testimony and in their official documents, and in their institutions. We keep the sixth commandment just as we keep the fourth commandment. No one in the world should have cause to wonder what Seventh-day Adventists believe on this topic. We present the scripture, and as health care providers, we follow the scripture. Furthermore, we know that the origin of slaughtering children, a crime against humanity, is the devil who was a murderer from the beginning. Those who promote, defend, or engage in this activity betray the family tree of their father, the devil. But we will not linger on this point, for there are other points to ponder. And the children struggled together within her. This was a difficult pregnancy, and Rebecca did not understand what was happening. When we don't understand what is happening, what should we do? Rebecca knew what to do. She went to inquire of the Lord. This was not the first time she prayed. She knew how to pray. She was a woman of prayer. One of the reasons God left this story in the Bible is to encourage us to pray. We too can ask God questions, and he will answer us. We should now acquaint ourselves with God. How do we do this? By proving his promises. Angels record every prayer that is sincere and that is earnest and sincere. It doesn't say angels record every prayer that is eloquent and articulate. It says angels record every prayer that is earnest and sincere. In what must be the most quoted verse of the New Living Translation, Paul says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. In our passage, we learn that Isaac was a man of prayer. In response to his prayers, Rebekah's barrenness ended. But our passage reminds us that his wife, Rebekah, was a woman of prayer. Theirs was a family of prayer. God loves praying families. God answered the prayer of both Isaac and Rebekah. 
It is a part of God's plan to grant us an answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow did we not thus ask. Have you been asking God about your life? When I was in college, I read an article in the review by Ellen White's grandson, Virgil Robinson. I've never forgotten it. It contained a story about Ellen White's son, Willie. Some 40 years ago, uh, the review Uh, recorded, the manager of one of the church's largest, large sanitariums was invited to accept supervision of another larger institution. He was reluctant to go. He had several children who were attending a nearby college. Yet he thought, if the Lord wants me to go, it's my duty to respond. Finally, he asked counsel of a longtime friend, W.C. White. Elder White was surprised by the question. Do you mean to tell me, Myron, he asked, placing his hand on the younger man's shoulder, that after all these years in the Lord's work, you haven't learned how to get down on your knees, ask God a question, and get an answer? The man hadn't thought of it that way. He promised to follow the suggestion. On his knees, he prayed the prayer of Paul on his way to Damascus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? No one ever prays that prayer sincerely without receiving an answer. When we don't know what to do, we can know just what to do. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In answer to prayer, God had granted Rachel a child. But now Rachel is concerned. She has never been pregnant before. She may have wondered if her child was in the process of fetal demise. She didn't know exactly what was going on. But Rachel knew just what to do. She went to inquire of the Lord. In an emergency, there is a place to dart a quick prayer to heaven. There are times when we must pause at his feet for a moment of prayer. But we must also have a daily period, morning and evening, where we can take unhurried time to commune with God in our closet. This passage makes it clear that Rebecca's prayer was not a quick and casual prayer to heaven. The text says that she went to inquire of the Lord. Sometimes when this expression is used in the Bible, a person went to a prophet or priest to receive instruction from God. We could speculate that since Abraham was still alive and he was a prophet, she went to see Abraham and inquired of the Lord through him. Some have speculated that she went to counsel with the aging Shem who gave her this prophetic message. But it could also mean, and I prefer to think, that she retired to her secret place of prayer her prayer closet, and there poured out her heart to God. But wherever she went, however she asked, the great God of heaven bent low to hear her prayer and listen in and respond to the prayer of a concerned mother. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Today, in our sophisticated and proud society, many don't think to to inquire the Lord. They can inquire of man and receive reassurance and answers. Pregnancy difficulties? See an obstetrician. The obstetrician would send her to... uh, ultrasound, and there she would learn that she had twin boys. Don't misunderstand me. If you have pregnancy problems, if you have medical problems, you should see the physician, 
the obstetrician. But a physician, however necessary, however skillful, however helpful, cannot take the place of also seeking the Lord. In every difficulty, we are to see a call to prayer, Desire of Ages 667. There is information we need in every difficulty that only God can provide. An ultrasound can reveal twins, but cannot reveal the future of those twins. Doctors can always give us hope. Doctors can't always give us hope, but God always can. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Rachel was concerned that the child may be dying, but the Lord revealed that she was not to lose one child, but gain two. Sometimes we may think everything is dark. Our future prospects are uncertain. Difficulties may overwhelm us as they did with Job. But beyond Job's difficulty and loss, there was a future and a hope. And in the end, he gained double. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. At the end of the pregnancy, Rebekah would gain double. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. This, you see, is a Bible principle. When a person had possessions stolen from him, the thief must restore double. Because Joseph's brothers were concerned that they would be accused of stealing the grain they brought from Egypt, they doubled their money to Egypt to give to the Egyptians. When God permits Satan to steal from us, God himself promises to restore double to us. For your shame you shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in the Lord they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. In the midst of calamity and loss, you can remember this principle. God is preparing you to double what you have lost. So Lord, let me lose more. And not just double, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left houses or house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. We need to look back on the passage for a moment. Some Hebrew scholars state that the Hebrew word translated struggle literally means they crushed, thrust one another. The marginal reading in the Geneva Bible says they hurt one another. This was a serious struggle. In this account, God is providing us a parable to ponder. In the Bible, what does a woman represent? I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. The church, the bride of Christ, these children are brethren within the church. In this passage, God is foretelling the struggle between truth and error, right and wrong within the church. Brethren would be struggling together. The Bible reveals that spiritual warfare is not limited to the fight between God's people and the outside world, but there is a struggle between the faithful and the unfaithful within the church. This is a constant theme in the Bible. We see it between Cain and Abel, two brothers who worshiped together. Abel's worship was acceptable, Cain's was not. And it was the elder brother who persecuted Abel. 
We see it again with the two brothers, Ishmael and Isaac. Again, the older brother persecuted the younger. We recall Joseph and his older brothers who sold him into slavery. Centuries later, there was David who was despised by his older brothers. We could also mention the struggle between Solomon and his older brother, Adonijah. Later, the kingdom of Solomon broke into two often warring kingdoms, Israel and Judah. There has ever been a struggle within the church. Great Controversy says, There have ever been two classes among those who profess to be followers of Christ. While one class study the Savior's life and earnestly seek to correct their defects and conform to the pattern, the other class shun the plain practical truths which expose their errors. Among the twelve apostles was a traitor. All who cherish evil under the profession of godliness hate those who disturb their peace by condemning their course of sin. When a favorable opportunity is presented, they will, like Judas, betray those who for their good have sought to reprove them. There's a struggle between those two groups for what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Rebecca was given this preview of the struggle that would continue to the close of history. Faithful and unfaithful brethren would struggle and hurt each other as they crush and thrust one another. Jesus highlighted this struggle within the church in a number of parables. Let me list just a few. The two worshipers went to the same temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee looked with disdain at the publican. The parable of the wheat and the tares. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins. The parable of the older vineyard workers who were unhappy with the later workers and complained about them. The parable of the prodigal son had an older brother that quarreled with him, was envious of him, and did not accept him. All these and other parables which could have been included reveal that within the church there is a struggle between those who serve God with a full surrender and those who do not. God does not want us to be surprised and disappointed when we discover this struggle. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. A war is in progress. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that war spells out in, spills out even into the church among brothers. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. During the dark ages, who was it that slaughtered Christians? Professed Christians. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. I like the Holman Christian Standard Bible translation of this verse. But the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? Within the church to the close of time, there are two manner of people. Ultimately, they will be separated. The Bible compares the second coming with pregnancy. Many will be surprised at the struggle within the church that will occur at the very end of time. The struggle may become so intense that the church may appear is about to fall. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. 
and the one people shall be stronger than the other people. Esau became, began apparently stronger while Jacob was apparently weaker. But this would change over the centuries. By the time of David, Israel was the strongest and subjugated the Edomites. Though they successfully revolted 150 years later, they were subjugated again by King Amaziah. King Azariah continued the conquest of of Edom, but the prophecy continued. The elder shall serve the younger. The younger would ultimately prevail, and the older would serve the younger. This prophecy was fulfilled in every particular During the time between the Testaments, the Maccabees tell how Judas Maccabeus attacked and defeated the Edomites while his nephew Hyrcanus weakened them so severely that they had the choice of either leaving their country and embracing the Jewish religion on which they submitted to be circumcised and became proselytes to the Jewish religion and were ever afterwards then incorporated into the Jewish church and nation. It is interesting that Esau was called the elder. They were twins. They were the same age. As the lawyers would say, this is a distinction without a difference. Esau's elder status was not something he earned. He received it at birth. His boast of pedigree was empty. His feelings of superiority, his glorying in his strength was vanity. No wonder, Jeremiah warned, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. It is not the proud, but the meek who will inherit the earth. In the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, Paul says that out of weakness, men of faith were made strong. The faithful that are weak always triumph in the end over the strong who are weak in faith. And that would be true for Esau and Jacob, the elder would end up serving the younger. The next verse verifies the accuracy of God's word to Rebekah. And when her days were fulfilled, uh, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. The twin boys did what boys do. They grew up, but they were not identical twins. Esau followed in the footsteps of Nimrod and became a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob, on the other hand, was a plain man dwelling in tents. Anciently as today, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage. New King James Version says, Now Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. He had no idea what the next moment of his life would de- that the next moments of his life would determine his destiny. He had no idea that in a moment of hunger he would face a test that would be recorded for all future generations. Do you and I consider how important our little daily decisions are? Do we think of the fact that God and angels are watching us and recording our actions? We are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Letter 5, 1887. Remember 
the case of Esau. He passed the crisis of his life without knowing it. What he regarded as a matter worthy of scarcely a thought was the act that revealed the prevailing traits of his character. It showed his choice, showed his true estimate of that which was sacred and which should have been sacredly cherished. He sold his birthright for a small indulgence to meet his present wants. And this determined the aftercourse of his life. To Esau, a morsel of meat was more than the service of his master. Signs of the Times, April 24, 1879. The conduct of Esau in selling his birthright represents the course of the unrighteous who consider the redemption purchased for them by Christ of little value and sacrifice their airship to heaven by perishable treasures. Many are controlled by inclination, and rather than deny an unhealthy appetite, they will sacrifice high and valuable considerations. If one must be yielded, the gratification of a depraved appetite or the high and heavenly blessings which God promises only to the self-denying and God-fearing, the clamors of appetite, as in the case of Esau, will generally prevail, and for self-gratification, God in heaven will be virtually despised. Even professed Christians will use tea, coffee, snuff, tobacco, in spirits, all of which benumb the finer sensibilities of the soul. If you tell them they cannot have heaven in these hurtful indulgences, and that they should cleanse themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, they are, what's the next word? Offended. Offended. And conclude that if the way is so straight that they cannot indulge their gross appetites, they will no longer walk therein. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. People excuse their actions if they are tired and hungry. They excuse impatience, and they sell their birthright. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This passage is referred to many times in Scripture. It should serve as a beacon of warning. Notice what Paul says. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. This is talking to healers. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. 
for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. The story of Jacob and Esau is a story for end time. Esau represents those within the church who have heaven in their grasp but don't value it. They will choose an earthly attraction that they can see and have now over the unseen future life. They do not follow the admonition of Christ. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The rich young ruler was an Esau. His possessions were his pottage. And when Jesus called for the rich young ruler's possessions, he wouldn't relinquish his grasp on them but clung to them tightly. He exchanged an earthly palace for a mansion in heaven. If Jesus was here this evening, is there anything in your life that you would not be willing to give him? Is there some dish of pottage in your life that you love more than you love Jesus? Esau had a special strong desire, we're told, Review and Herald, April 27, 1886. Esau had a special strong desire for a particular article of food, and he had gratified self so long that he did not feel the necessity of turning from the tempting coveted dish. He thought upon it and made no special effort to restrain his appetite until his power until its power bore down every other consideration and controlled him and he imagined he would suffer great inconvenience and even death if he could not have that particular dish the more he thought upon it the more his desire strengthened until his birthright which was sacred lost its value and its sacredness He thought, well, if I now sell it, I can easily buy it back again. He flattered himself that he could dispose of it at will and buy it back at pleasure. He bartered it away for a favorite dish. When he sought to purchase it back, even at great sacrifice on his part, he was not able to do so. He then bitterly repented his rashness, his folly, his madness. He looked the matter over on every side. He sought for repentance carefully and with tears. It was all in vain. He had despised the blessing, and the Lord removed it from him forever. When Rebecca became pregnant, she thought she had just one child. No one could see that there were two, but God could. This morning in the womb of the church, we can see only one. But God sees what we don't see, two nations. Two nations, Edom and Israel, were the founders of both kingdoms flawed? What was the difference between these citizens? Esau set his eyes on this earth and valued it more than heaven. This evening, you and I are in one or the other of these two conflicting nations that make up Christianity, that even make up the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What is your nationality this evening? Have you set your sights on this earth? Is it your highest desire to have a comfortable life in this earth, or do you happily exchange some inconvenience here to advance the kingdom of God? What gets your time, your attention, your thoughts? 
Here this evening, there are citizens of two nations forming in the womb of the church. And I am a citizen of one or the citizen of the other. Either I'm an Edenite, Edomite, following the example of Esau and being overcome by little things. Or I am an Israelite and am overcoming in little things. Either I'm an Edomite cherishing some beloved sin, excusing it, rationalizing it, justifying it. Or I am an Israelite and am separating from sin. Is there some sin, some idol, that's more important to me or to you than heaven? Would I choose to please my spouse more than to please my Jesus? Will my appetite overcome my love for Jesus? I might not choose cigarettes, drugs, or alcohol, but would I choose gossip, slander, evil thoughts, mental impurity, pornography over Jesus? Would I choose the flesh pots of evil over the angel food of manna? Would I sell heaven for such as this? Either I'm an Edomite, hypocritically professing righteousness, coming to church, going through the outward forms to be seen of men, or I'm an Israelite, sincerely worshiping God. Either I'm an Edomite, hating the truly righteous, slandering them, feeling superior to them, or I am an Israelite who is hated by Esau, persecuted by Esau, yet loves Esau and returning good for evil. There's not a third category in this room. We are either citizens of one or the other of these two contending kingdoms. But the good news is there is still time for Edomites to become Israelites. Jesus has a wonderful immigration policy. He takes Edomites and transforms them into Israelites to those who let him. He will reveal the value of the eternal, the eternal and the worthlessness of the transitory. He will deliver the one who is in the bondage of sin to make them into overcomers, making them more than conquerors. He will change the heart of the hypocrite and make it sincere and true. And true. He will change our hatred and malice into love. He did it for the persecutor Saul who became the Apostle Paul, and he wants to do it for me. Ellen White wrote to Elder Haskell, this is a daily experience. We can know if we have it. We need daily conversion, she says, as vessels prepared and cleansed for the Master's use. If this is our experience, then the language of our hearts will be, O Lord, Take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. I must have faith that I am kept by the power of God, moment by moment. He will keep that which I have committed in faith to his trust. Save me in spite of myself, my poor, weak, unchristlike self. Mold me. Fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. This is the experience of the Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. 
Is that the experience this evening that you want? Are you willing to release your hold on cherished sin and let Christ take it away? He's much too polite to wrench it from my grasp. But who but God can cleanse my heart from sin? I can't do it. But he's promised he's willing to and he's able to. To the Israelite, Jesus becomes the all in all. And David said, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Do you want this experience this evening? It's available to you. If this is your desire, will you stand and sing with me the closing song? Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. May this be the song of our hearts throughout eternity. May our time together in this Amen conference bring us deep and lasting changes. Lord, I need a revival. I need the Holy Spirit in my life and all of us here do. We ask that the Holy Spirit fall on us. In the remainder of this conference, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.